Welcome to the Beehive Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Bees. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6, Beehive Sports Podcast. Doing this recording in Columbia, South Carolina, poolside at the hotel I'm staying at. I had to make some sound adjustments due to it being next to a highway and being outside. It's a little windy, but it's warm. Uh, So if the sound is a little off, I apologize. I'm doing the best to mix the levels and stuff like that. So a lot to get to today, the usual segment lineup. Uh, In the My Hive segment, I'm going to have a guest caller. It's going to be Owen Seaton. He's going to talk a little bit about his current position with the Chattanooga FC. And also, he's going to talk, give us a little behind-the-scenes look into the Kentucky Derby. He's a former employee at Churchill Downs. Uh, Kentucky Derby set to run May 1st, I believe. So he's going to give us a little bit of insight into what goes on there on uh, race day and everything. So let's get started. Uh, huge news in the European football world. The Super League with 12 teams. Uh, now they're committing, decommitting. Fans are pissed off because it upsets tradition. That's all I'm going to say about it because did you guys really think I was going to start this show off with soccer news? It's soccer. It's fucking terrible. We're going to talk about the draft. I got a little mock made up. Top 10. We have... Uh, the way I'm going to do this is with no trades, it's just the draft order as it is, not anything, uh, you know, obviously there's probably going to be trades. There's already talk of a ton of it. Falcons uh, moving out. Patriots moving in. Panther, there's a bunch of teams talking about moving around. So obviously we'll see all that on, on draft day. I'm sure at this point it's it's not going to happen until then. I think all the moves have kind of been made with the Niners coming into the three spot. So I'm just going to do this mock draft as if there's no trades, uh, mainly because I don't want to make a pick for the Patriots because even though Brady's gone, I still can't stand those bastards. So we're going to start off number one, the obvious pick. Jacksonville is going to take Trevor Lawrence, uh, quarterback out of Clemson. I'm pretty sure that might be the no shit pick of the decade. Like everybody Lawrence is, you know, kind of looked at as this prodigy, and he's going to be the next great thing. So he is good. Uh, we'll see, you know, how that translates to the NFL. It doesn't always work out like like everybody anticipates, but Trevor Lawrence, everybody's kind of saying sure bet. So we got Lawrence at number one. Number two, New York Jets select Zach Wilson, quarterback of BYU. I would say with the uh, – Moving on from Darnold, that made it pretty clear that quarterback is where they plan on going with this draft. I love that they're moving on and bringing in a new quarterback because I think that is a team that just absolutely destroys quarterbacks' careers. And with a defensive-minded coach coming in, Robert Sala, which I'm not too, as a Bills fan, not too incredibly worried about. I think he's a good coach, but the defense, you know, he called up against Buffalo I think it was Monday night football game last year and Allen just torched him so if we can do that twice a year I'd be thrilled but Zach Wilson BYU heads to the Jets 49ers number three pick I'm going with Mac Jones I know there's a lot of talk of Justin Fields here I listened to a bit from Colin Coward that I actually really agreed with 
Kyle Shanahan, uh, I, I think he's too proud of his offense, and, and he doesn't want an improviser. He wants a guy who's going to do what he wants him to do. I'm calling the plays. This is, you know, if you want to make a play happen, I'll get, you know, I'll make sure the, the play is in place for that to happen. I think Mac Jones is going to be a little bit more of a by-the-book guy, not an improviser like a Justin Fields. So I believe he will head to San Francisco, Mac Jones, Alabama quarterback. Number four, we have the Falcons. And this is an interesting one because this is a lot of, uh, this is a possible trade out, obviously, like like I had said previously. But um, Matt Ryan's 35. They got a new coach, Arthur Smith. Uh, I think the future is what they look for here. And I'm going Trey Lance, quarterback, North Dakota State. So four quarterbacks, first four picks. That could be another team taking a quarterback there. But, again, I'm going Falcons. I think they, they, they're in a position where it's time for them to start looking to the future too. Matt Ryan, you know, hasn't, hasn't been great. He's getting older. It's time to get that guy in there who's going to be the future of the team. And with a new coach, there's never a better time for that to happen. With the fifth pick, the Bengals, I have them selecting Kyle Pitts, tight end from Florida Gators. Obviously, they got their quarterback last year with Joe Burrow. Uh, injury shortened his rookie year, but more weapons. Uh, they got T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, add Kyle Pitts to it. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a good spot for him to land and, and with a young, growing quarterback. Kyle Pitts to the Bengals. Dolphins, I got them taking Jamar Chase, best receiver in the draft. Uh, with the Watson thing, the way that went, you know, Miami was kind of looking like they were heading toward possible trade with Houston, although Houston always would come out and say they weren't interested. I'm sure at some point they would, you know, cut their losses and make that trade. Now with everything going on with Watson, I don't believe that is going to happen. So with Miami uh, having Tua, and obviously, I mean, a lot of people gave Tua a lot of shit his first year, including myself, uh, but it's his first year. Things could change. He could improve. He could, you know, adjust to the speed of the game. He uh, he wasn't bad. It was just, it just always seemed with Tua that they had to call a play for Tua. Tua wasn't going to make something happen. He wasn't making great throws. So add another weapon. Uh, which they, you know, definitely need. Add another weapon, helps two out. The Dolphins have a array of picks over the next two years, so I think at this point with Miami, it's you, you just you take the best, what, what you can plug and play right now. So Dolphins, Jamar Chase, LSU. Another receiver going at seven, Lions, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. Uh, their wide receiver depth chart, as it stands, has Perriman and Tyrell Williams. Williams is coming off an injury. It's hard to say if he's going to be able to, you know, produce like he once did coming, you know, coming off of, uh, I think it was a torn labrum is what he had. They just got Goff, obviously, in the Stafford trade. So, you know, they're going to want to put some weapons. They lost Galladay. So Jalen Waddle heading to the Lions. 
Number eight, Panthers. I have them selecting Penny Sewell, offensive tackle from Oregon. Darnold uh, obviously just arrived there via trade. They have a good array of weapons for him already in in Carolina. Uh, namely, you know, Christian McCaffrey, who's great out of the backfield and running the ball. So it's time to keep him upright. Darnold with the Jets, I, I was just like, Looked into this a little bit, and he's just they just never put anybody really around him. They never protected him, one, but two, the weapons he was given were never, you know, that great. He's never played with a player on offense who's as talented as Christian McCaffrey. So I think that could help Darnold out. I was, a, I was really happy when he went to Carolina because I did not want him on another AFC team because I still believe that Darnold has potential to be really good. Time will tell. Number nine, Denver Broncos. They get a gift falling to their lap, Justin Fields. They select Fields. They won a quarterback competition. Patton came out and said that uh, he wants competition for Drew Locke. Justin Fields falls in their lap at nine. Their current depth chart at QB behind Locke is Brett Rippon and Jeff Driscoll. Clearly, neither of those two are going to give Locke any competition. I'm not convinced that Locke's going to be a proven starter at any point in his career. Uh, I remember a quote from last year where he said half the time he throws the ball as he releases it, he says, oh, no. That's not really good (laughs) as far as confidence goes. I don't think that that's really something you want to – the press, but Justin Fields falls in their lap at nine, and Drew Locke's got competition and probably getting replaced. Lastly, number 10, Cowboys, we got the safe pick, Patrick Sertain the second, uh, best corner in the draft. You have him going opposite Trevon Diggs, shores up that secondary. They were 11th in the past last year, but can always improve that number. Obviously, their season went away when when uh, Dak went down. They don't really have any needs on offense, maybe offensive line, but as far as the, the weapons go on offense, they, got, they have quite a bit there with Dak, Amari Cooper, and a um, kid from Oklahoma whose name I am now forgetting, wide receiver they just drafted last year. I'll think of it later in the show and correct myself. So that's it for my mock. As far as the Bills go, uh, just because I am a fan, throwing that out there, I I hope that it's edge rusher. Uh, If they don't take the best available edge rusher, I would assume then they're probably going to look at a running back, Harris, who knows. But picking 30 is – that's weird. I I don't recall them doing that in 25 years. So I don't really know what to think about the whole thing. It's almost hard for me to look at all of it because you have, you know, I'm just used to top 10. So I'll have to, I guess, get a hold of some Steeler fans and see how they behave prior to the draft because I'm pretty confused right now. All right, we're going to move on. Lastly, on the opening segment list 
uh, the jersey change that was approved by the NFL. Interesting take. Interesting rule change. They've expanded the rule so that players can wear other numbers other than what they were originally uh, accustomed to. So now the expanded rule says that a running back, tight end, fullback, or wide receiver can wear numbers 1 through 49 plus 80 through 89. Defensive back can now wear 1 through 49. Linebacker can now wear 1 through 59 plus 90 to 99. An offensive lineman can now wear 50 to 79. A defensive lineman, 50 to 79 plus 90 to 99. Quarterbacks, kickers, and punters remain 1 through 19. So there's like a lot of mixed reactions coming out of even NFL players. Uh, I'm a huge Stefan Diggs fan. I was, and I, I'm not just saying this because he's a Buffalo Bill. I, I was a fan of him prior to when he was a Viking. I had him on a couple fantasy teams. That was kind of what drew my attention to him. And then I also remember uh, the the miracle catch that he made against the Saints where he scored the touchdown won the playoff game. And I actually remember sending a text to California, and I said, you know, digs and all exclamation points and everything. So I've always liked him. Uh, something that I love that he came out and said is because he was considering a, a jersey number change once this rule passed, and then afterwards he came out and he quoted, after some thought, I can't change my number. All the people that spent their hard-earned money supporting the 14, I got to keep it. I love that. I... Hope that more follow in his footsteps for the sake of fans of other players and teams. Uh, you, if you look around the, you know, players' Twitters and stuff like that, it's not going to have. There's a ton of them who are already wanting to go back to their college number. Uh, different things like that. Brady came out. He's extremely mad about the entire thing. Called it dumb. Said good luck trying to block the right players. Uh, so. Obviously, his, you know, his uh, concern is that offensive players having to identify a player in what position they are, whether they're coming off the bench or something like that. So he's upset. He, he said that why don't we just all wear the same number or not wear a number at all. He kind of chalks it up to being the same as, as that. Uh, and then I actually saw some comments on some Facebook feeds where people were like, who, you know, you don't, you don't have the right to say that or earn the right to say that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's earned the right to say whatever the hell he wants. So, yeah, there's some mixed, uh, mixed reviews on that from the player standpoint. Uh, from a fan standpoint, I, I would just suggest not – I wouldn't buy a jersey for the next couple years if I'm a fan – uh, the jerseys that I currently have, I, I feel like I'm in good shape, you know, to last me a couple years without feeling the need to purchase a new one. But, you know, like I just bought a Diggs 14 last season, so I'm glad that he's not changing his number. That would be frustrating. As uh, the, the one rule that they did attach to this, though, that I, I thought was cool and it might, you know, buy some fans sometime, or change a player's mind altogether. 
Uh, if the player is going to change for the 2021 season, he must buy out the existing stock of the jersey that's featuring his current number. So they'll have to spend some money if they want to make the change. Otherwise, they have to wait till 2022 uh, to purchase that that or I'm sorry to change their number. So be interesting to see how that goes with the you know I've already saw there were some guys talking about current players who hold a number switching with a teammate and buying them dinner in exchange for it or whatever it might you know cost them money so we'll see how bad they want to do it but again I would certainly hold off on buying a jersey for the next couple of years anyways until you know that guy on your team who has a good lengthy contract chooses the number you know he's going to stick with all right we're going to take a break. We will be back with This Week in Sports History. Take a look back at this week in sports history. Hey, welcome back. This week in sports history. Ten facts. It's Plowhead. Number one. 1920. Ice hockey makes its Olympic debut, and Frank Fredrickson scores seven goals in a 12-1 win, Canada defeating Sweden for the gold medal. 1920, apparently, Canada was the only country good at hockey because Sweden got the silver medal, losing by 11. Number two. 1925. National League games are canceled for the funeral of Charles Ebbets. You may have heard of Ebbets Field, former home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Number three. 1941. Tradition begins as the organ is introduced for the very first time at a baseball game. This is the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley using the organ for the very first time. Pretty much heard every stadium around the league now. Number four. 1953. Wrestler Classy Freddie Blassie coins the term pencil neck geek. We've come a long way since 1953. I I don't know. I think the punishment would be worse if you called somebody that now because of just the verbal assault you would take for using such a stupid phrase. But 
1953, those, those were probably pretty strong words. Number five. 1967. The Dodgers get their first rainout playing in Los Angeles. They played 737 consecutive home games without a rainout. And everybody wonders why California is on fire all the damn time. Number six. 1974. The NFL moves goalposts to what we know them as now, to the back of the end zone. I always just kind of chuckle when I see those videos. Who, who would have thought that the goalpost at the front of the end zone was a good idea? I just, that makes no sense. Uh, the I wish there was more highlights on dudes piling into that. It'd be fun to watch. Number seven. 1991. Soccer star Diego Maradona is suspended for using cocaine and is arrested in Argentina for possession and distribution of illegal narcotics. So like I said in the opening segment, soccer's terrible. And if you let your kid play it, there's a chance they will grow up to sell cocaine. Number 8. 1991. Lisa Olson files a sexual harassment lawsuit on the New England Patriots. This... I was young when this happened, but part of... I think they settled in 94 out of court. Uh, Lisa Olson and the Patriots settled out of court in 94. And I slightly remember this story. Like, I remember the female in the locker room. Uh, the Patriots were saying that she would stand there and stare at them while they were naked. She would say the opposite, that they exposed themselves to her. Um, it, Look it up if you haven't ever heard about this before, because it was it was kind of like uh, I think it was in the '70s. It was when women really, really got into sports journalism, and you know they obviously weren't permitted in locker rooms for a long time. And then finally, when they were, you know, this was one of the first incidents that really is you know that has some notoriety to it. That yeah, she sued. Uh, she claimed that what they did to her was a mind rape. And, of course, you know, they came back and said, this is bullshit, and she stands there and stares at us, and we all feel awkward. Regardless, they settle out of court. Usually how that kind of stuff happens. I'm sure she got some some change out of that, but the uh, the amount was undetermined, you know, to the, to the public. Number nine. 1994. We're going to stick with some lawsuits. Tanya Harding sues her ex-husband, Jeff, I don't know how to say his last name, I'm just going to give it my best here, Gillooey, 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 for $42,500. This is in the wake of the uh, scandal where she had Nancy Nancy Kerrigan uh, clubbed prior to the Olympics to make the team or whatever it was. Actually, I'm going to look into... I'm going to look into that story a little more because that would be a great one to really, really, like, get into because that was, you know, I was 10 when that happened. And uh, I just, that's an interesting story. So we'll have to, I'm going to do that. I'll look into that. That'll be on a future episode. We'll get into the Tanya Harding attack on Nancy Kerrigan orchestrated by her ex who she sues here in 1994. 
and uh, I think they like paid a couple guys to carry out the attack or something like that. But we'll we'll get into that later. Number ten, nineteen ninety five. Court orders Daryl Strawberry to pay back three hundred and fifty thousand in taxes. That's another guy who we could probably just do an entire segment on. Uh, claims he slept with women in between innings, blown coke all the time. That'd be a that'd make for a good segment. So we'll look into that as well. That's your ten. I got no bonus facts for you this week. Tough shit. Stick around for the things that sting. that Dak Prescott has. C.D. Lamb was the name I was looking for that just completely went away from my brain. It took me two segments to figure that out. But that's him, C.D. Lamb. He's good. So, not a lot to go on here today. Things to sting. A couple cool stories. Well, one's kind of, one's more fucked up. The other one, well, actually, they're both kind of fucked up. But, I am trying to reserve a little bit of time for my hive because I don't know how long the phone call with Owen will go and I don't want to put him on a time limit because he's got a lot of cool shit to say and talk about. So, things that sting. First story we're going to discuss. Eagles fans, eyes are on you. Bryant Moreland, better known on the internet as EDP445. Some of you at this point might not have any idea who I'm talking about, but this is the guy who a few years back, or more than that now, I guess, but he was the Chip Kelly rant guy. He went on rants about Chip Kelly trading LaShawn McCoy. I mean, it, it garnered national attention. Uh, Coward mentioned it on his show. There was a, there was a lot of uh, his videos, they went viral. It was just him flipping out about being an Eagles fan and, and the moves they were making, of course, this is prior to, uh, you know, the Nick Foles leading them to the Super Bowl kind of deal. But, yeah, so if you look him up, look up his rant videos. If you see one of them, you're going to remember who I'm talking about. Heavy set black guy. He was hilarious in these videos. Uh, you know, everybody loved him. Until recently. 
a brand or YouTube channel or group, I don't know, even know what the hell they are, called Predator Poachers began a conversation in Bakersfield, California with Bryant Moreland, who is EDP 445, posing as a 13-year-old girl, and they lured him to an apartment complex. There's a 48-minute video on on YouTube that you can watch. He actually admits to everything, admits to, you know, and and and, and at this point just so everybody's clear, there has not been any criminal charges or anything like that. Because these guys don't have arrest powers. They just lure in scumbags and then turn the information over to the police. Uh, I actually watched a video where, you know, this was being assessed. And the guy's like, if you have this information, why don't you just have the police, like, ready instead of doing your own thing? But he made a good point. The reason these guys do this is for views on YouTube. The Predator Poachers. That's their whole ordeal. So they bring him in. 13-year-old girl, they're they're talking, you know, obviously about sexual relations and things like that. And the guy, you know, this Alex Rosen, who we'll get into a little bit more about him here shortly. But he lures the guy in, lures in Bryant Moreland, EDP 445. Asks him why he's there, why he's showing up there. And, and Moreland just comes out and says, well, I'm lonely and... He says, do you know she was 13? Yep, knew she was 13. He didn't have a problem admitting everything uh, and actually made excuses for himself. So I'm hoping that, you know, the police do get involved and that there are some criminal charges because if he gets away with this one, then he he's going to continue, you know, looking after. And, and who knows how many were prior to this, if this is the way this guy operates, so... Um, to me, the most disgusting crime you can commit, and I hope, you know, whatever's coming his way comes his way. But, Eagles fans, we don't judge all of you. Uh, just like I ask you not to judge Bills fans by the guys who fly through tables off the top of vehicles and shit, you know? Like, I don't do that. Too old, I'd get hurt. I have said this before, I think, on the podcast, and I will say it again, though. If there is a Super Bowl victory, I would probably allow somebody to toss me through a table. I don't know that I would feel it until the next day, so I'm good with it. But anyways, Eagles fans, we don't judge all of you. I mean, you are the worst fans in football. You booed Santa Claus. You boo everybody. And, you know, now one of your most prominent people is under the microscope but again we don't judge you we you guys are all right so the 48 minute video is available on youtube just just search bryant moreland or edp 445 if you if you type in edp 445 there's gonna be 25 videos of that that people have shared and made and whatever but there's one that's 48 minutes long that's like the full video start to finish of them bringing him in and you know interviewing him he starts trying to call people for help uh and whatever but now this predator poacher they're under fire too because Alex Rosen uh there's some videos of him using the n word like a lot of times it's not just a, a whatever but so he's he's under the microscope now come you know every 
everybody's saying that he is a racist. I don't know that he only goes after, you know, African-American predators. I think, in fact, predominantly when it comes to predators, that their majority of them are white dudes. So, but anyways, Alex Rosen, apparently he's a piece of shit too, but he did catch another piece of shit. So hopefully the police get involved and, you know, I know they were called to the scene, but I just don't, I don't, there's been no official charges as of yet. So hopefully that happens soon and uh, Bryant Moreland can't put any more young people in danger. So next story, and it, and I, and I've actually lived this, so this is this hit home when I when I found it. A betting error by MGM Bets, their app, and this actually dates back to January seventeenth. But the story is just coming out now because the, the you know the settlement had been made or whatever. The investigation was over. So, M- MGM bets on the app, January 17th, Cleveland Browns versus the Chiefs. There's a prop bet. So, if you don't know what prop bets are, if you look at these betting apps now, uh, there's far more you can do than a line or a teaser or an over-under or a parlay. You know, you can bet how many points somebody's going to have over a certain amount, under a certain amount. Um, You know, in basketball, I'm talking assists, rebounds, all of it, any of those stats. And that, you know, going to football, passing yards, receiving yards, rushing yards, tackles, you, you can literally find a bet for everything at this point. So a prop bet that they had for January 17th, Browns Chiefs, was Baker Mayfield, and Patrick Mahomes over 300 yards passing. That's a normal bet. You would find that in just about any football game you're going to bet, a prop bet. The quarterbacks, over under 300. You can go over under 200. I want to bet uh, with Cam Newton under 150 last season because he sucks. So I took, you know, under 150 is a good bet. So anyways... What these people saw was a, a typo. And on this particular typo, the over-under for yardage, they, the, it had 100 or whatever they had to start, but they had 200. And then at 300, the three did not catch in, in the box. So it just said 0-0. Zero, zero. 300 plus yards, if you're betting that, typically, you know, depending on the quarterback, the the value of that bet's pretty good because that's 300-yard game's a, a good game. That quarterback had a really good game. So the three dropped off, and it just said 0-0. Zero, zero. So all these people, you know, the the eagle-eye bettors, they see this. Well, he only has to get over zero yards. They bet it. Nine people from two different apps. Uh, one, You know, I think five was bet MGM. And four were on an app that is uh, associated with BetMGM, but it's an offset casino, whatever, whatever it might be. So they bet this over zero yards. You know, complete one pass, two passes, you're you're over that. Depend, you know, twenty yard, ten yard, one yard, and you're over it. 
So anyways, they, they all hop on this bet. MGM doesn't see it, obviously, until it clears. MGM makes a move to void the bet. The state, which I believe this was in New Jersey, they say, Lee Corso, not so fast. We got to investigate why this happened. So, state looks into it, and it, almost immediately after the response from the state, MGM says, all right, we'll honor the bet. Not only did they get a $500 fine from the state for the typo, for the ill-advised bet, but they had to pay out ten grand uh, in bets to a total of nine people, not ten grand per person, but between the nine people, ten thousand dollars was what they lost. So, real nice of MGM to actually honor that because in my scenario, which was twenty nineteen NFL C or it would have been college football. 2019 college football, Penn State Rutgers. I didn't get my bet in on time. So after kickoff, and I think Rutgers scored like immediately. They might have returned, actually might have returned the opening kick. I can't remember. But the Rutgers is up 7-0. The the original line for the game was Penn State minus like 28, something like that. Huge favorites. Well, as the odds update on, on and this is when I was with Bet Rivers, one of the reasons I left Bet Rivers because they pissed me off. The line jumps to Penn State plus 33. Obviously an error. And I know that in the fine print between all of this shit, it says if there's an error, they don't have to honor it. They can, you know, do away with whatever they want. So I clear out my account on Penn State plus 33. And of course I win the bet. Penn State won the game by. You know, a handful anyway. So plus 33, I win that bet. Rivers doesn't honor it. They come back. They void the bet. The, the winnings cleared into my account. And then they voided the bet, took the winnings back, which I asked, what would you have done if I would have withdrawn it? They said they would have canceled the withdrawal. But so other places, and I actually read a story similar, FanDuel, on their mistake, they honored the bet. MGM honored the bet. Bet Rivers told me to, you know, basically get the fuck out. They they wanted their money back. So that's gonna wrap up things that sting. Stay away from Bet Rivers and stay away from EDP four four five if you are a juvenile. Hopefully he ends up in jail where he belongs. And I'm happy to hear for these betters who went through MGM that uh, ended up getting paid due to a, you know, casino error. Not our fault. We just uh, bet the lines that are put in front of us, so. All right, we'll take a break. We're going to be back with My Hive and our special guest, Owen Seaton. Stick around.
My High, Joe's very own world of sports. Hi everybody, welcome back to the My Hive segment of the Beehive Sports Podcast. With me on the Beehive Hotline, former Mox Director of Creative Services and producer at Churchill Downs and current Chief Marketing Officer for the Chattanooga FC, Owen Seaton. How you doing, Owen? Good, Joe. How are you? Good. It's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Glad to uh, be on with you, and I've enjoyed uh, listening to your show so far. Thank you. At least I know I have one fan out there. (laughs) Right. So, uh, Owen, I'm gonna. What I'm having you on for today is just to tell us a little bit about what you do with the Chattanooga FC. Okay. So, tell us a little bit about that that job that you uh, just started. How long ago? How long have you been there? Uh, I have been back in Chattanooga since December of nineteen. Um, so, just in time to uh, have a season interrupted by a pandemic, but. Um, yeah, so uh, we are a pro soccer club in a league called the National Independent Soccer League, or uh, NISA. Okay. Um, and it's the third division uh, of pro soccer in the U.S. And the club has been in existence since 2009, and we've, uh, we have a lot of uh, great support. We've had as many as 18,000 at matches before, so you know, we're very well supported in the community. Where do they play um, at? Play at Finley Stadium, okay. which is, of course, where Mox football plays. Right. And, uh, it, it was an amateur club for up until last year, um, which just played in the summertime, and we made the move to the pro ranks last year. And so this is uh, we're just starting our second pro season. As a matter of fact, tonight uh, we are playing in the championship match of the uh, opening spring tournament. That if we win that, we get a, an automatic berth into the semifinals of the uh, season-ending tournament. So now, where, where does this league compare with like MLS? Is it like a, a just one level down? Do the do these players eventually move on to that league, or how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So it's um, so you know, there's no quote unquote minor leagues for soccer in the United States as far as like the MLS teams owning. Um, you know, other, other programs at lower levels. So it's, um, you know, all the players are essentially um, available, just like European soccer, available to be sold. You know, their contracts can be sold to a higher club. Okay. But as far as the, in the hierarchy, um, we're two levels down from MLS, so kind of similar to like a double-A team would be to a major league team. Right. The, difference is, the difference is the players don't belong to, a, you know, the MLS. Uh, you know, they're for the length of their contract, they belong to the club that they're signed with, and then that contract can be sold uh, to another club. All right. Yeah, so uh, you're going to have to forgive me because earlier in the episode, I kind of make fun of soccer a couple times, but it's all in good fun, of course. <laughs> it's okay, Joe. I know you're not the most enlightened person. So, you know. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right, so hey, tell us a little bit about uh, the – the Kentucky Derby set to run here. I believe it's next Saturday, May first. Um, right. So tell us a little bit about what you did at Churchill Downs and how long you were there and everything. Sure, I was uh, a producer at Churchill Downs for six years. So I did six Kentucky Derbies, um, and I, I actually wasn't an employee of Churchill Downs. I worked for a big production company named Van Wagner Sports and Entertainment Productions that uh, 
was Churchill was a client. And um, at the time um, that we started there, Churchill had just put in the largest uh, 4K video board in the world. Um, there have been a few bigger ones put in since then, but uh, we so basically we ran the video board show for all of uh, the race days at Churchill Downs, which was about a hundred hundred racing days a year. Wow! Um, obviously, obviously Kentucky Derby being the biggest the, one of those, right? So, so what's what's uh? It was great. I got to I got to see uh, two triple crown winners while I was there. See, that's awesome. And I always hear that you know that's like a huge party all day long and I've never been to it, but that's definitely something that I would say is like a bucket list item for me. Uh, sure. Uh, so there's four, there's actually 14 races on Derby day and the Derby race itself is the 12th of 14 races. So the first race starts a little bit before four in the, or uh, a little bit before 11 in the morning. Okay. And, uh, Derby race goes at about 6 p.m. So it's a very long day. Yeah, long day um, for for especially all the behind-the-scenes stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, and it's a long day for people that start drinking at 8 a.m. Some of them <laughs> don't make it to the Derby. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> how, about how big of a crowd do they draw for that? Um, 180,000. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that sounds like it'd be pretty intense. Safe. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, like, uh, two Michigan stadiums worth of people on a football game day or, you know, two Penn State, you know, right. home games, yeah, that's a pretty big crowd. Look at you giving the, the North uh, College football a little bit of love there. I, I know your audience, man. <laughs> I, I'm actually, so I'm in South Carolina right now, and it's just, it's bringing back Chattanooga memories when I'm, you know, meeting some of these people down here, and I start talking to them about football, and they just... NFL, they just don't care. But then you know, right. I'm in I'm in Gamecock country right now, and uh, right. my cousin's husband, who I've been spending a lot of time with, he was telling me about how Jadavion Clowney is like a legend here, and and that they reference his most famous play as the hit. Right. <laughs> I got yeah. I got a kick out of that the hit. <laughs> so well, I was. I Good to you, Joe. I said it's uh, two Penn State home games instead of saying 180 is like uh, 15 Bills home games. Oh, man. That's sad but true. Sad but true. So uh, uh, your, bills are, your bills are good. Hey, they're getting on, they're on the upswing. I think they finally got their guy. So uh, Back to the Derby a little bit. The, so as a contracted employee there, were you allowed to make wagers while you were working? Yes, and actually, employees there are as well. There's limits on what they so anybody that works there has to get a uh, horseman's license. Right. So basically, it's a background check that uh, shows that you haven't ever been um, involved in any kind of um, gambling conspiracy or anything like or fraud, fraud or anything like that. Yep. Um, uh, and if you hold one of those, you're allowed to wager on things, but you're not allowed to do like the really, really advanced wagers that have like high multiples on them. Like you can't do a pick six. You can't do a pick six. Okay. Uh, you know, or something. Yeah. See, that was similar in Pennsylvania. When I worked at Prescott Downs and Casino, we couldn't wager inside the casino, but the horse track was separate from Pennsylvania. Uh, what was it? Pennsylvania gaming control board. The, the horses had their own over governing body or whatever it would have been. And so we were allowed to bet on them, but we weren't allowed to like go in and play slots or, or at the tables or anything like that. So it was, 
it's a uh, yeah, kind of seems similar in a way. Uh, what did you? This is uh, something I really wanted to know because I I do have some. I'm an avid sports better. I have a bunch of avid sports betters who listen in. So, what did you learn while working at the horse track? What was something you learned about the gambling community? Um, well, I mean, the, I I feel like for the most part, the the horse wager that bets on thoroughbred racing is quite a bit different than um, your typical um, sports weight gambler. Right. So, uh, so people that play horses will play will bet on football. But most people that bet on football don't bet on the horses. I, I just, yeah, that's the the. I agree with that. Crazy. They're definitely two separate, uh, two separate groups of of betters. That's for sure. And I, I actually think that the guys who or the guys or girls who bet horses, I think that they're they're actually more studied up on what they're wagering on and and more attentive to past races or trends or, or things like, you know, just they do a little bit more research before they just throw a bet down, except for your, you know, run of the mill. Hey, I'm going to go to the horse races on a, you know, a date or whatever. And you throw a couple bucks on something, but the serious betters, right. I think the serious betters are really researched and, and they know their shit essentially. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, yeah. Derby weekend excluded. Cause I think they, you know, there's so much casual, casual money. You know those days, right? But, um, if you if you go to a track on just a random Thursday or something, uh, anybody who, especially anybody who's at the track, is really, really, you know, studied and serious. Yeah, you know, knows knows who the trainers and the jockeys are, know the pedigree of the horses, right? Know, you know what what distance the horses like to run at, all those kinds of things. Um, where you know, Derby Day, probably half the people there, it's, you know, I like the color, I like, I like the number, I like the horse's name or something, you know, a lot less scientific. Yeah. Uh, so one one last question for you here, Owen, because I don't, actually, I don't even know if I have mentioned this in in the, uh, your introduction, but to the listeners, Owen was my boss for my internship when I was a, a student at Edinburgh University. And what happened was I was looking for an internship. I needed one to graduate. And my brother uh, actually lives in Chattanooga. So, you know, he kind of gave me a line on what the schools were down there. And I just started sending out emails. And basically, Owen, uh, he, you know, responded and said, you know, it wouldn't be a paid position, which I really wasn't anticipating that because it was for college credits. Um, and Owen brought me down and, it, you know, he... He really took me in and I was thankful that I had a boss like him. He showed me around, uh, you know, the city. And, uh, I remember like one of my favorite days was opening day of baseball and I had no idea, but I come in to work and Jim Horton's sitting there in his Reds jersey. <laughs> and Owen says, you know, at, what was it? Right around first pitch was, I think, noon or something. And you're, you're like half a day. We're going to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> we just sat there and had some beers and. I probably did some Jaeger bombs, which, you know, it was an unpaid internship, Owen, but I think you did pay me with enough alcohol that we, it kind of evened out. I think it would have been cheaper just to pay you. I was, yeah, yeah, that was, you're probably not wrong there either. So, Owen, the last question I'm going to ask you, who was your favorite free intern? 
tell you what, uh, I think you were the, actually the one and only because after the, um, two, well, two years after you, like they changed up the program and said, uh, the labor laws wouldn't allow unpaid interns anymore. And so everybody figures just, just my luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, but, uh, and the two, two that we had you and there was, uh, you may have met Eileen because she was right after you. I don't think but, I did. Uh, Maybe. Because I stayed on with you for a little while, even after the internship, doing some of the uh, broadcasting of the volleyball and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It was a good time. But, yeah, I'm very thankful for you, Owen. Thanks for calling in and everything and just, you know, helping me get this off the ground. It's it's not, like I said, my expectations for it aren't really that crazy. But it's just cool to do and, you know, talk about sports. And I have some people who engage and listen and talk to me about things and bring up things they want to hear. And I just thought with the Derby coming up, it would be a great opportunity to have you on. And hopefully I can get you on again in the future. Maybe you can uh, educate us some more about the Chattanooga FC. And yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So thanks I'll again give, for. I'll give, you one, I'll give you one piece of Derby advice on the way out the door here. Okay. Um, if you're going to bet the Derby this year, expect um, all day long, not just the Derby race, but anything, any horse that a trainer named Brad Cox is training, uh, just bet that and you'll probably have a pretty good day. Brad Cox. Brad Cox. All right. Everybody heard it. So right. you watch your, uh, watch your books, look for Brad Cox. He's a good trainer, apparently. Owen's giving out some free betting advice. So, Owen, thanks again. Really appreciate having you. And uh, I'll uh, get in touch with you soon. Thank you. All right, have a good one. You too. All right, I really just want to thank Owen again for joining us there. It was really cool. Uh, he has a lot of really good stories. He's met a lot of really cool people. So we'll definitely have him on again in the future and uh, see what else we can get into with him. Take his betting advice. Uh, you know anything about betting ponies? Sounds like Owen has a little bit of insight. It's not a strength of mine when it comes to that stuff, but I, you know, I know a bunch of people in Erie who... A couple actually own horses, and then a lot of them are just avid betters. So, all right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with the closing. That concludes Episode 6. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Beehive Sports Podcast. Again, uh, the audio on this uh, episode, if it's a little off in some places, I apologize uh, recording on the road uh, presented some new challenges, but I think I got it together the best I could. So at least I have that experience now for the future. Uh, again, just thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode seven. See you then. Thank you.